That's that's the sound of the new legend rule being executed. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 70. My name's CJ Schrader. With me, as always, my two Advocate of the Beast co-hosts, Jess Dunks. Hey, Jess. Hey, what's up? I shouldn't just read what's on the screen in front of me. Spoiler for later, guys. Also, we have Brian Prilliman. Oh, okay. But you're going to announce that we have Brian Triggers at the Instep Prilliman. <laughs> Great. Now we don't even have to do that card. Yeah, now we don't have to do that card at all. Uh... We also have a very special guest with us, a uh, very recent level three judge. I'm sure many of you have met him. His name is Jason Flatford. Hello, guys. Hey, Jason. One of the it's most recent level threes, I think. More recent than it, there are others. Some. Some. You know, but Stansfield wasn't available. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Or uh, Brefka. Can, can, can we just can we just call him Flats, please? Yes. If you're calling him, if you're going to call him Jason, then I'm going to get confused. I know it was confusing when I said it. So it yeah. call Flats, Flats. Flats is my name. It's just like when we have Justin Turner on. I can't call him Justin. Hey, Justin, what are your opinions on this? It's Turner. It's Flats with two T's, by the way. Two T's. With two T's. So why are there two T's? Your name only has one T yeah, in it. Right? I also found that confusing. It's true. The uh, second T is for terrific. Oh, OK. Well, I think you just made that up. No, that puts it all in perspective. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Jason, tell us a little bit, or Flats, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? What do you do? Okay. Um, I am currently a level three judge. I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee. Right now, I live in Roanoke, working for Star City Games. Um, it's just as awesome as you think it would be. Um, the weekend stuff, I think, is awesome, but the weekday stuff, I just envision you sorting giant piles of commons. <laughs> is that what you do? Well, the 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 weekday stuff, um, my job is actually just making tournaments better, and that's something that I really enjoy. That's like, great. what's what's a what's a example uh, a sample day? Like, I, there's probably all this secret, super secret Star City stuff, but like. Well, yeah, so walk walk us walk us through briefly. Sure. Well, I come in about ten o'clock and I sit down and go through some emails and then already better. Usually than work job. on <laughs> ten o'clock. I usually work on uh, table layouts for the open series and uh, also work on some of the paperwork that comes back from open series events. Police reports. So and so then, at, some, then some other stuff that I can't talk about. What? So at what point do you? Uh, determine the the price for all the cards what at what point do you control the price of all the cards in the legacy market like <laughs> at what point uh, do you do that in your day I, that's that's not part of my job particularly um <laughs> that's another department yeah yeah okay all right so um so recently at uh, uh a few at both uh grand prix uh charlotte grand prix miami and then a few other grand prix you have had uh, a big shindig at the end to kind of tie up, wrap up the judge conference, uh, both Judge Jeopardy and Judge Feud, most recently in Miami. Um, what was the, uh, I was going to say the inspiration for Judge Jeopardy, but <laughs> Jeopardy. I about the same um, question, too, and I was like, I was like, where did you get those ideas? Oh, wait. Where did you get the idea for a game? 
Can we? Yeah, I was looking for a. I was looking for a seminar topic uh, going into GP Charlotte, and we were brainstorming, and Aaron Stickney came up with uh, Judge Jeopardy. So I, I was like, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. I googled. No, how can I make something that I can project on the wall look like Jeopardy? Uh, and I realized that it was going to be a lot of work. Uh, I eventually taught myself how to use macros in PowerPoint um, and created this Judge Jeopardy thing uh, in PowerPoint. And we put it all together with SUG Live, and it was awesome. It had a great response. Um, and then... Jared and Ricky afterwards were discussing, you know, hey, what are some other game shows that we can do? And they looked over at me and said, hey, why don't you do Judge Judge Feud? And uh, they said, you know, with Judge Feud, you can get a lot of the judge program involved because you can send out a survey and have the have the people fill it out. And that immediately sold me that getting a couple hundred people together uh, for the survey is something I wanted to do with uh, Judge Feud. So I so what, Fed, what Federico Donner got a hold of me. What? I was going to say, like, so what kind of, what kind of, when you said a survey, like what type, because not everybody got this survey. Uh, what right. type of questions? Uh, the only people who got the survey were level two and higher judges who had worked with Star City Games, uh, except for the Florida crew, obviously. Uh, so one of the what? questions was, one of the questions was, uh, name the most hated commander in uh, Commander. Yeah. Name the, the, the ha- most hated general in Commander. Fascinating question. Surely the Florida I, guys did very well with that one without giving spoilers. Uh, I have no idea geez. what that would be. None that whatsoever. Was, no one did well on that Hold question. Hold on. I said Shroom the Hedgehog. <laughs> and that was good enough. And that was good enough. And then was it uh, Fortino was like, oh, obviously it's Carador. And it's like, who, what? <laughs> and then... Were... Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Okay. Let, let's let, oh. let's let people watch it when it comes out. Sorry, I'm still really mad about that, Shh. I guess. Shh. You should be, though. Brian, okay, you were... Calm down, calm, calm down. Brian, you were there. Uh, what did you think about it? Uh, okay, um, I thought it was it was a blast. Um, I, I was, I was nervous. I mean, obviously, okay. So the, the two teams were set up. It was the European team, uh, plus Francisco. So, <laughs> you know, team, team, not continental United States versus team Florida. And, uh, it was obviously it was in Miami. So there was a whole lot of, you know, Florida judges just in general, like cheering and booing. And it just had a great energy. It had a great vibe. So definitely if you do something like that, again, you, you want to, you know, get a, get a, a team that like the crowd can get behind, you know, like the, the, the good guys and the heel as it were, you know, for like wrestling or whatever. Um, but it, it, it definitely had a good energy. I was so worried getting up there that I, I was going to be asked like a, a simple question and then whiff some of the answers. Were, some of the answers were absolutely hilarious. You know, it's like a question like, what, why do ju- people get into judging? And it's like all of us just kind of looking. We're like, uh, no idea. Uh, no <laughs> idea. And then the answers come up there and they're all like, oh, these are the things that we tell people. But when you're on the spot, you just brain fart. And it was it was just a great opportunity to laugh at yourself, have a good time. Uh, Definitely, definitely a good way to it was a high energy way to end the evening. So that question in particular, the one about why would someone want to get into judging? 
uh, we had a lot of answers and a few more than a few several people put uh, for the ladies and enough people put that as a joke that it actually made it onto the board. See, that, that's always the thing about Family Feud and Judge Feud is you're not answering the right answer. You're answering what you think X number of people would say. Right. So never would have guessed I, I've never, in seriousness, said you judge for the ladies. <laughs> there were a I few had, questions I that said, I couldn't use. Yeah, a few oh, questions I couldn't problem. use. Like, uh, name a popular red card. Seventy-four uh, percent of the people said lightning bolt, so it wasn't really a good question <laughs> uh, to use. <laughs> so, so these 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 uh, game shows, uh, they are available for viewing somewhere. So Judge Jeopardy is available on uh, StarCityGames.com. If you search for my name, Jason Flafford, uh, you can find it in my articles. Uh, Judge Feud will be available uh, as a video on Star City Games as soon as the editors have finished with it. Uh, We had some technical problems, so we weren't able to stream it. uh, But we did get a single camera uh, footage of it. So hoping that that gets out soon. Okay. We'll, we'll post a link to it when it's out. Cool. Cool. Yeah. On the Facebook page. It's a good spot. Is there, is there another, uh, feud or jeopardy or thousand dollar judge pyramid <laughs> or, or, or judge password or something like that? Press your judge luck. Press your judge so, luck. No whammies. No whammies. Feel of fortune. I'd like to, I'd like to buy a state based action. <laughs> <laughs> So I was really sad uh, when we weren't able to stream Judge Feud. So that kind of makes me want to do it again at a, at a Grand Prix that we can stream. Uh, I do have an idea for my next one. Uh, I'll go ahead and say it here. It's uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Daze Me, the Magic Judge Quiz. <laughs> so you can imagine what that would be like. You get a live exclusive right here. Wait, Wait, <laughs> Don't Daze Me? No, no yeah, one knows sure, about it. A take, a take off on you. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, right? Right, exactly. Awesome. I'm already a fan. It doesn't exist yet. I would like to thank uh, one person. uh, Federico Donner uh, came out of nowhere to say, hey, I heard you were doing this thing. I'd like to help. Uh, So he was he was a big part of making Judge Feud uh, what it was. So I wanted to thank him for that. Cool. Great. Okay. All right. We should get to our main topic, though. So today we're going to do our our normal thing where we we don't cover the entire slivers in 14 FAQ. Uh, in detail, but we cover a bunch of the cards that we may find interesting or may have interesting rules implications or any of that. And then we have flats on so that we could get an L3's perspective on all of this since we don't have any on the show. You always need an L3's perspective. It's important to have L3's. Knowledgeable L3's. Yes. Knowledgeable is the key word. Knowledgeable L3's. Knowledgeable young L3's. All right. I hate you guys. So before <laughs> before we start, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we handle triggers at regular REL, which is what the pre-releases run at. Uh, it's uh, as of the last policy update, policy was brought in line at regular REL to match what it is at competitive REL uh, with regards to your opponent having to point out your triggers. So basically, your opponent doesn't have to point out your triggers if you ever miss them. However, uh, if you notice your trigger after it should have happened and the judge deems it is not too disruptive to the game, they can go ahead and put it on the stack if you just call a judge over. So it's not like there's a category of triggers and they're just missed. Yeah. So at, at competitive generally there are some exceptions but generally it's going to be the opponent's choice as to whether or not the trigger goes on the stack or not 
Um, at regular, you missed a trigger, call for a judge. The judge is going to come over. He's going to make a determination as to whether or not it is too disruptive to add the trigger. And uh, if the determination is that it's not too disruptive, it's going to be added. And the term we were we were talking about this before the episode uh, before the episode the term or the the phrasing of what the judge is going to determine whether or not it's disruptive is intentionally ambiguous to allow for the different styles of FNMs uh, across the globe. Some FNMs, uh, the the player base likes a more competitive. Some like a more loose. So it's it's one document to rule them all. All right, let's get started, and we'll post uh, a link to the full FAQ in our show notes. But after you listen to us, you'll be such pros you won't need it. It'll be fine. Not at all. I think uh, we'll just uh, take turns reading cards, and I'll start with the first one. Advocate of the Beast, who has a trigger that says, "At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one plus one counter on target beast creature you control." Uh, the only thing I really wanted to say about this one is to note that it triggers at your end step, not to your upkeep. So many things trigger at your upkeep, but uh, this. The sweet thing about this is if you play it, you'll get a counter on a beast at the end of your turn. The turn. Yeah, later. that that Tusker thing, that 3-3 Tusker yeah. is going to be, bam, a 4-4. Four, four. Colonian Tusker. The, the awkward thing that's most likely to come up with this card, in my opinion, is that players who don't really understand how steps work mm-hmm. are going to try and kill it before the trigger goes off. And they're going to say, at your end step, I'll kill this. And then the question will come up about whether or not the trigger's on the stack. Yeah. And this is something that comes up uh, not infrequently with Aetherling as well. When somebody tries to blink it, and they say, at the end of the turn, I'll blink this, and they try to put it back into play. And their opponent's like, no, 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 you said you did it at the end of the turn. Um, so knowing, you know, letting the players know how the end step works when that comes up is going to be very important. So these pre-releases are, are mostly for fun uh, slash education of the game. Like, that's really something we want to stress at these events. Yeah. All right. Brian, take the next one. Angelic Accord for three and a white. It is an enchantment that reads at the beginning of your scrolling down too far and can't read the card text at the beginning of your of each end step. All right. Um, if you gained four or more life this turn, put a four, four white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield. All right. So the first the first thing is um, at the beginning of is OK. So it's at the beginning of each in step. Uh, if you are playing two headed giant, uh, there is your team's end step and your opponent's team's end step. OK, um, uh, also, it just cares about whether you gained four or more life this turn. This enchantment did not need to be in play when you gained the life. It just asks, hey, did you gain four life? And that's not not uh, a net gain. Like if you took 10 points of damage and then gained four, that's gaining four life. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, yep. Uh, Into it, a giant. If your teammate gains life, well, you didn't you didn't. You're not the one that gained life. If you if you have your life total set to a specific value, you gain or lose life uh, necessary to make it that whatever value. Um, so if you go from 15 to 20, you're gaining five life. Hey. Um, also, if you're setting it like via an exchange, say like Tree of Redemption or Reverse the Sands, is that the card? Uh, where you're exchanging, that also counts as gaining or losing life to make it whatever the appropriate value is. So that counts. What if you double your life? 
that's gaining life too. Sounds good to me. It does sound good. It sounds great. It sounds like you just doubled your life. But what if you're at and, two uh, and you doubled you know, your life? Well, that would that you know what else is very good with uh doubling life? Our next card, why not someone take it away? So Archangel of Thune is the next one we're going to talk about. Uh, it's a 3-4 for 5 with flying and lifelink, and it says whatever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Um, this this card is very straightforward with, with really one exception, and it's something we've talked about before on the show in regards to uh, Drog Skull Weaver, in that if multiple creatures that have lifelink deal damage simultaneously, it's still considered multiple instances of life gain. So if you have uh, two creatures or more that have lifelink and they do damage at the same time, uh, you will get that many counters on all on each creature you control. Yeah, I just want to uh, say the main reason this card is on here right now is because uh, limited resources talked about it, and they actually said that incorrectly. So whatever our crossover audience is, I just wanted to get the correction out there. They said they said multiple creatures with lifelink would only cause one trigger, but actually each creature with lifelink will cause its own. That's a, a common misconception, and uh, it, I don't remember what episode it was, but if you dig back a few episodes, we actually went into this in detail yeah, with Drunk Soul Reaver and, and why it works I, that way. I think the reason why they made it, made it work that way is because lifelink used to, when lifelink was triggered, it, you know, obviously counted as two life gain source, uh, two life gain events. So, I mean, they probably added this rule in there when they made it normal or, or when they just made it the uh, part of the damage dealing to maintain that functionality. You know, so it's closer to the original. Yeah, I'm guessing. I, yeah, I think it's something like that. They do stuff like that. They look out for us. All right, Platts, take the next one away. This silly. All right, so the next one is Awaken the Prilliman. I mean, <laughs> Ancient. <laughs> Fantastic. One red, 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 uh, or uh, Enchant Mountain. Enchanted Mountain is a 7-7 seven, seven red giant creature with haste, and it's still land. Uh, so it's still land. It can tap for red, and if it stops being a mountain, what happens to the aura? I think it goes to the graveyard. Yes. Because it's enchanting yeah, it if it stops being a mountain, uh, it falls off. Here's one. It would just—it would be like if it said uh, enchant creature, and that permanent stopped being a creature. Yep. Why does it give haste? Yep. Because if it's the land that you just... So when you play your uh, Sacred Foundry and don't pay your two, then... Oh, wait, because it's tapped. It's oh, that doesn't work. Oh... No, it's so it's probably so you can attack with the land you just. Yeah, played. I think it's mostly like, to get rid of that awkwardness where you know that can happen on MTGO, but doesn't really happen in real life. Where if I have four mountains down, I just played one. The opponent would be like, "Oh, judge, you just put that on his land with the summoning sickness." That that's always an awkward judge call yeah. because you have one guy going, "No, you played that land this turn," and the other guy going, "No, no, no, I played this other land this turn," and and confusion. And then also, does it? Oops, I forgot. Yeah. All right. Ooh. So I get Banisher Priest, huh? All right, let's talk. Ban- I still want to read this Basher Priest. Let's talk about Banisher Priest. Uh, she's, Basher Priest. She's a 2-2 two, two for 3. Her flavor text is Oathbreaker, I cast you out. And she says, when Banisher Priest enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Banisher Priest leaves the battlefield. What? So this kind of templating we've never seen before. And the intent of it is to replace templates like uh, Oblivion Ring, which Oblivion Ring has the enters the battlefield trigger that exiles the card and then the leaves the battlefield trigger that returns the card. Uh, this template works out a little bit different. It sets up a, a duration for the zone change. So uh, the zone change is exiling the creature and the duration is until Banish, Banisher Priest leaves the battlefield. So 
what ends up happening is the moment that duration ends, the card comes back. Uh, it's not it's not a trigger. It can't be responded to. The moment Banisher Priest uh, leaves the battlefield, the creature it exiled came back, comes back. I think an, a, an analogous situation is just effects like Soar of Temptation and Olivia mm-hmm. that gain control of a creature until uh, or as long as you control that permanent. And as soon as you lose control of the Soar or the Olivia, they immediately get control back. There's no trigger. There's no uh, no, no state based actions are checked in between. You just immediately get that back. And this works exactly that way. Yeah, I heard actually a pretty good example today. Um... Uh, what is it? Dryad Militant, right? Is that the card that, uh, what is it? Like if it, uh, Exiles, Exiles, uh, if an instant or sorcery would be put into a graveyard from anyone. Yeah, it, it exiles okay. it instead. So someone said, you know, I have Banisher Priest and it's exiling um, Dryad Militant. And then I Doomblade Banisher Priest. Well, we're going to do, putting the card in the graveyard is the last instruction. So we re, we do the instructions on, on Doomblade, which is destroy the creature. The moment we do that instruction, um, wow, why can't I remember her name? Dryad Militant comes back. And when Doomblade finishes resolving, it's actually going to get exiled because the card has immediately come back. So it's even going to affect before the card is even done resolving. Yeah. Uh, this thing, so this template also yeah, has advantages in multiplayer, I feel. Because so today, if you have an Oblivion Ring and you exile your opponent's Bear Cub, and then the player who controls Oblivion Ring dies, the Bear Cub stays exiled because the Oblivion Ring never has the opportunity to, uh, to trigger. Or it triggers and is immediately removed from the stack. Either way, doesn't matter. Uh, but with this templating, if the player who controls Banisher Priest dies, the Bear Cub will come back immediately under its owner's control. There's also a mention in the FAQ that about how the creature that is exiled and Banisher Priest, they never exist on the battlefield at the same time. Uh, the example it uses is if a clone is exiled with Banisher Priest, it um, and then Banisher Priest dies, the clone can't. Uh, oh, and the last note I wanted to mention was that no existing cards are going to be changed to use this template, but this is a new template we might see going forward. You know, this is not this is not a rata that's going to happen. So I guess they've just gotten tired of the whole blinking with on the stack shenanigans stuff, or they they thought it was kind of clever for a while. Like, you I know, so. I play O-Ring and then blink it in response to the enters the battlefield trigger. You know, at first they were like, oh, that's kind of cute. But then they've kind of realized that it seems to hurt people's heads and people don't yeah, it's like not, it. It's not very flavorful. No. This also it, solves the awkward uh, situation with blinking Fiend Hunter and trying to take the same permanent again. Right. Or like the call I got at Miami where the where the player's like, hey, you know how that blinking trick works? Just like, uh, <laughs> is there a rules question that I can answer? I can't. Um, so. Okay, yeah, so I, overall I like the template. Uh, it's just something new, but I think it's good. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, the next card is, is Brave the Elements. Now, I wanted to talk about this, not because this is overly complicated from a rule standpoint, but uh, from a tournament shortcut standpoint. So Brave the Elements is for one white, choose a color, white creatures you control gain protection from the chosen color until end of turn. Nowhere in there is the word target, okay? So you make your choice on resolution of the spell. Now, we have tournament shortcuts uh, out there to prevent something like Brave the Elements naming blue, Brave the Elements blue, and then the guy's like, uh, okay or, or brave the elements naming red you go okay and it's like ah now that it resolves i name black haha 
you know, no. So there's there's actually a tournament shortcut that says if a player casts a spell and activates an ability that an, uh, and announces choices for that that are not normally made until resolution, player must adhere to those choices. OK, unless the opponent responds with a spell or ability. So if you go like, ha, Brave the Elements naming blue, and he's like, okay, well, I do this, 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 and you go, okay, well, now that it resolves, I'm going to, you know, now that you did something, I'm going to change change and say red. Conversely, if you if I go Brave the Elements and you go, well, what are you naming? Well, then that's you basically acknowledging that it resolves. So that's all I got for Brave the Elements. Not particularly exciting, but a little bit of MTR tournament shortcuts. Ooh, thanks for braving the shortcuts uh, for us. Woot, woot. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that card is reprinted, actually. I'm, I'm happy to see it see play in standard. Really? Okay, well, whatever. All right. I like I like this um this roulette we have of who gets which cards. Like who's gonna get Stryonic Resonator? Ooh, who knows? <laughs> All right, so it's, the next card the final boss of the yeah. podcast. The 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 next card is uh Boneside Sliver. Uh it's uh costs four mana, it's a two two, and it says sliver creatures you control have double strike. What's interesting about this, this is actually something we've dealt with uh, in Standard and, and not too long ago with uh Silverblade Paladin, is that uh he gives all of your slivers double strike, but if he gets blocked by something with first strike and, and is killed in the first strike combat damage step, then all of your slivers no longer have double strike. And they've dealt damage in the first strike combat damage step, so they won't get to deal damage again in the regular combat damage step. Weird. Yeah, so it works in the intuitive way. Uh, Joke. Yeah, that's not really that intuitive. Um, well, in fact, the most, flavorful way. It works in the flavorful way, but like... Most players think, oh, well, you know, it uh, it doesn't have first strike or double strike, so it should deal damage in the regular combat damage step. But that's just not how it works. If it dealt damage in the first strike combat damage step and it doesn't have double strike, it won't deal damage in, in the regular combat damage step. So just just a, a quick aside, does it look like Bonsai's Slither Sliver is re- is playing High Ally? I don't know what High Ally is, and we don't have time for quick asides. Oh, <laughs> it looks like he's playing lacrosse or that. <laughs> you said no we, we don't have time we, we don't have you time for quick asides let me let me talk about this for a minute let me argue with you about it what are these adobe huts behind him all right flats let, let me talk about chandra pyromancer pyromaster sorry it's not pyromancer it's pyromaster everybody's messing that uh, one up <laughs> nerd fight nerd fight <laughs> she's a uh, planeswalker she uh is two red red she has four loyalty when she comes into play and she has a lot of text uh, her plus one ability deals one damage to target player, one damage to up to one target creature that player controls. That creature can't block this turn. And it has a zero ability. Exile the top card of your library. You make play it this turn. And a negative seven ability. Exile the top ten cards of your library. Choose an instant or sorcery card. Exile this way and copy it three times. Ooh, wow, three times. You may cast the copies without paying their mana cost. Okay. Which is very weird in that you have to choose one, but you don't have to cast it. Right. You do have to choose, though. Right. So, uh, let's see. Even if damage is prevented, something dealt damage by the first ability still can't block. If the ability resolves, the, the can't block isn't doesn't have anything to do with the damage. Uh, so the ability doesn't isn't countered, per se, if it's prevented. Uh, so the, that effect still happens. Uh, if your opponent had Hexproof, you'd have to target yourself with the plus one. Uh, for the zero, you still have to pay for the spell. Uh, normal timing restrictions apply. So uh, this brings up the new uh, land rule, I believe, right? 
Or did that change this uh, ability at all? No, that didn't change this ability at all. And it, it, this ability d- didn't change no matter. Like there are situations in which you could use this ability to get to that change, but right. this but ability doesn't actually. That change. does remind me. I do need, right. do need to mention we are not talking about any of the new rules that were previously announced because we're just going to be talking about cards. Uh, because we already had an episode about the rules. That's episode number sixty-seven. So if people are interested about the fourteen rules changes, uh, episode number sixty-seven, where we say tuck tuck a lot, is uh, ready and waiting for you. So you exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn well uh let's say you exile it in your uh your main phase and it's a sorcery you can't cast it in your combat step even though this says you may play it this turn it's still uh the normal timing restrictions still apply uh if it's a land and you already played a land this turn you won't be able to play it off of chandra uh if you don't play the card it stays exiled uh for the the ultimate ability you end up casting three copies you're not casting the original spell and if the spell has x in its cost it must be uh, zero because you're paying it without paying its mana cost or casting it yeah right unless the x is predefined on the card somewhere and i think there's only one card that does yeah, that. that's true sure all right i get the easy one chandra's outrage for four mana deals four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller note it only has the instance of the word target once so all it targets is a creature and if the creature becomes an illegal target due to brave the elements perhaps or due to that creature being dead the entire spell is countered so the uh creature's controller will not take two damage all right you get the easiest one in the whole page i get oh this one's this one's this one's awesome i'm i love this card uh, the card is Colossal Whale. So big. Col- okay, I do actually have a problem with Colossal Whale. Oh, because Blue's exiling the- something? Because I have a problem there. Oh, hold on. No, no, no. I have a problem with the fact that this whale is really colossal. It's really big. And it's only a, it's really big. Like that little tiny pirate ship in the foreground is the size of the thing's eyeball. And it's only a 5-5. Five, five. You compare that to like Polar Kraken, okay, where a grizz, uh, not a, a polar bear is larger than its eyeball. This thing, if we're going to go back into the old, old days where people could argue power and toughness and abilities based on art, <laughs> this thing is at least big furry monster power. I, I think this guy can at least. No, this this easily trades with a Thrag Tusk. What are you talking about? I think this guy's easily like <laughs> progenitus size, like easily. This, But this, it's just a whale. This thing, no, it is a colossal whale. You better recognize. I mean, really, this thing could have a polar kraken hanging from its ear like an earring, <laughs> like Big Furry Monster. I really think they missed an opportunity for an uncard. So anyway, Colossal Whale, what it does, it is a 5-5 island walk because this thing is as big as an ocean. It it, it is Okay, itself. we got it, we got it, he's big. <laughs> okay, whenever Colossal Whale attacks, you may exile target creature defending player controls until Colossal Whale leaves the battlefield. So it's basically the same template as Banisher Priest, same rules apply. It basically, Jonah and the Whale, it eats the dude, and it, you know, yeah, just eats him. Um, it can it can eat a big furry monster, uh, yet it can be killed by a Thrag Tusk. Flavor fail. Very upset. We'll I talk about it on our, on our spinoff, Flavor Cast. Flavor Cast, <laughs> yes. The next card is Corrupt, which uh, is an old favorite. Uh, it costs six mana. It uh, deals damage equal to the number of swamps you control the target creature or player, and you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Um, two important things about this is, first of all, it counts the number of swamps you have as it resolves. 
if you cast it with six swamps in play and with it on the stack, one of them gets sacrificed or destroyed, then it will only deal five damage instead of six. And uh, if for some reason the damage is prevented, then you don't gain that life. It, it only lets you gain life for damage that is actually dealt. What's your cue? Domestication. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next the next card we have is domestication. Tuba blue. It's an aura. Uh, enchanted creature you control. Enchanted creature at the beginning of your end step. If enchanted creature power is four or greater, sacrifice domestication. So it doesn't have any restrictions on enchanting other than it has to be a creature. So you can play it on a creature of power four or greater, and you'll have it until it triggers in your end step. Note that it if it's not four or greater at the beginning of your end step, it's not going to trigger. It has the intervening if clause there. And if it triggers and then loses power, so it's not four or greater, uh, the trigger will uh, be countered. I find it interesting that this card, uh, that, that the, the templating on Runner's Bane did not use the same templating as this card. Yeah. It, it, Runner's Bane is much more confusing well, than this. So Domestication came out in Rise of the Eldrazi, and I think yeah. I think the play we just talked about was intended, where you can temporarily remove a blocker, or maybe sack, Probably. sack outlet, I don't know. So. This could be a good uh, or maybe leveler. act of treason if it uh, only triggered during your uh, upkeep, right? Yeah. Except it doesn't give it haste. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, one one correction there, Flats, is that if if the intervening if isn't true anymore, the ability is removed from the stack. It's not countered. I know why I even bring that up, but I have a buddy who just missed that on a judge test because <laughs> judge test hey. asked that nonsense. Oh, not about domestication specifically. All right. Oh, is it me? Oh man. All right. Elite Arcanist, three and a blue, one one. Fails the vanilla test, right, guys? Eh. Limited resources. All right. When an elite arcanist enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant card from your hand. Not sorceries, just instants. And then for X, tap, copy the exiled card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. So this is actually one with a predefined, well, not predefined, but a defined X. Like you don't get to choose what the X is. Uh, the other thing interesting, I feel like we're seeing a lot more copy and then cast the copy and a lot less just put a copy on the stack lately maybe, maybe that putting a cop putting a copy on the stack has just never been intuitive players don't really understand yeah. why it doesn't right why it doesn't work the way they expect why it to it? and this works pretty much the way you'd expect it yeah to. so if the uh exiled instant has x in its costs the x will still has to have to be zero you know the x you're paying for elite arcanist is the converted mana cost of the exiled card and the mana cost of the exiled card is uh x zero x is zero plus whatever else so fireball which costs red x has a converted mana cost of one. Uh, that was a bad example, though, because Fireball's a sorcery. <laughs> um, when you copy the card, you still have to pay any additional costs. So a card like Fling says, as additional cost to cast Fling, sacrifice a creature. Um, you still have to pay those costs every time you copy the ex- copy and cast the exiled card. Uh, but as a as a benefit, you can also pay additional co- other additional costs if you want to, like if the spell has Kicker or Multi-Kicker or Entwine. Which is really just Kicker. Or other varieties of Kicker channel no wait that's an alternate cast uh anyway uh yeah you can pay right but you you could not play an alternate casting cost like you just mentioned Uh, for example uh anything with overload Overload. you can't overload it even though that feels very much like kicker yeah it does but no you cannot overload and uh also if you exile a split card then x is actually going to be the combined cost of the split card Um, so you you take the cost of the left side and the cost of the right side and you add them together that's what x is going to be but then when you pay X and tap and copy the exiled card, you can you choose to cast either half of the split card. And if it's a split card with fuse, you still cannot fuse it because you can only fuse from your hand. 
and surely somebody's asking how this interacts with Shionic Resonator, and we will talk about that at the end. At the end. During the strike. All right. Section. Wow. Yes, yeah, so the next card. And CJ, you're going to hate putting this so that I get this one. So enlarge for three green green. Target creature gets plus seven, plus seven, and gains trample until the end of turn. It must be blocked this turn if able. Uh, yes, the art is a giant kitten uh, whose mouth is about the same size as a diver, uh, which if we go back to my colossal whale, I'm. why does a cat with a mouth the size of a diver get plus seven, plus seven, meaning it's an eight, eight? take on a colossal and kill a colossal whale whose eyeball is the size of a pirate ship. You know what? What's really what's really going to be a noodle is how if you diminish the colossal whale and it attacks, you still get to exile something. <laughs> how, how is this right. tiny one one whale eating it's, things? It's like a gulper fish. It's kind of it, it, it disconnects its jaw and just vroom. So anyway, um, uh, only one creature, so it must be blocked this turn. This creature must be blocked this turn if able. Uh, that is setting up a requirement. Uh, so when you're when you're doing attacks and blocks, you have to uh, satisfy all restrictions uh, while satisfying as many requirements as you can. Uh, so if I have two dudes that have both been enlarged, if Abe attacks with two one ones that have both been enlarged, and Ned only has one blocking creature, he has a requirement uh, uh, to block the first dude. He also has a requirement to block the second dude. So either block he makes is going to satisfy a, a maximum of one requirement. That's the most he can satisfy. And so either he can block either way. So there you go. Cool. Yes, cool. And still, kitty cat, colossal what? whale. Hey, if you want to have a separate podcast to discuss flavor issues with art, what? I might. Well, speak. I might be all over it, and I'm not even being sarcastic. <laughs> you, well, speaking of flavor, how about this next oh, one there? Flavor Jess? city. Flavor Festering city. Festering newt. Festering newt is a creature salamander. It costs one black mana. It's a one one. And when Festering Newt dies, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. That creature gets minus four, minus four. Instead, if you control a creature named Bob Brew Witch. Now, this is a uh, th- this is something that will check on the resolution of the ability. So if you control a Bob Brew Witch when Festering Newt dies, uh, but it gets destroyed before the ability resolves, it-, it will only get minus one, minus one, not minus four, minus four. That's way better than the example I put in where you somehow flash the bog brew witch in it makes way more sense to kill it that's, yeah i was wondering about that's that way more likely. <laughs> the problem i have a bog brew witch is i really want to keep the alliteration going but there's no swearing on judge cast but like wow I, I, every wow. time i say bog brew and then pause and then say witch because it feels like it should be a literal alliterative all the way through that yes Maybe it's only a problem for me i don't know Oh, I think it's only a problem for you. I never thought of that. Really? No, it's it's try saying bog brew witch five times it's fast and it'll happen. Yeah, it'll just happen. Yeah, that card's a fiend to say. R&D was probably laughing when they did that. Same thing with Tunnelingus or Ignis. <laughs> Tunnel Ignis, uh, yeah. Yes. All right, the, the next card, Fiend Slayer <laughs> Pedal. <laughs> pedaling. <laughs> He's pedaling. He's on a bike. <laughs> Slayer Paladin. Uh, okay, <laughs> this card reminds me a lot of Paladin in Vac. Uh, I'm sure it does you guys too, except it has lifelink. Uh, it's a one white white human knight, two two, first strike lifelink, and it can't be the target of black or red spells your opponents control. 
Uh, Pilot and Vec had protection from black and red. Uh, this is not protection, however. Uh, this just can be the target of black or red spells your opponent's control. So it can be dealt damaged and enchanted, etc., etc. Well, it can be enchanted unless you, you know, somehow yeah. swap not it onto norm- it. But the normal way is right, right, but, right. But it's something that did like three damage to all creatures, and it was red. Earthquake is gonna kill it. Right. So this card's pretty good. I like it. I like this card. And he's got a lightsaber. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Badass. And three of them, four of them could kill a colossal whale. <laughs> I forgot that one would get eaten immediately, but... <laughs> well, no, first... Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh. Flames of the Firebrand. Two in a red. Flames of the Firebrand deals three damage. Divide as you choose among one, two, or three target creatures and or players. So we have... we have uh, I think we have a few illusions in this set. We have, I know we have at least one armor we'll talk about, but you know, all the illusions have the um the ability that whenever it becomes a target of a spell or ability uh you sacrifice the illusion uh, flames of the firebrand has you deal three damage and when you have to divide damage among a certain number of targets you have to do one damage to each target so my point is here you can't use flames of the firebrand to do two damage to a two two one damage to a one one and then also target an illusion if you have three targets you're going to be doing one damage to each target if you're having two da- targets you're going to do two damage to one and one damage to the other that's it. All right. Frost Breath. Uh, Frost Breath is two and a blue for an instant of, I guess, a Minotaur breathing. That's a Frost Titan. Frost Breath. Is it? Yes. This is obviously Frost Titan's ability. Oh, it is. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Sure. Look like a. I don't know, man. Like, I just saw horns on a dude's like head. Make ice chimes of your bones. Are we having an? Are we having a flavor fight? No. Okay. Good. All right. The text is tap up to two target creatures. Those creatures don't untap during their controller's next end step. So two things to note. One is, what are you typing out here? Uh, The fact that uh, you can target creatures that are already tapped. Okay, Um, so you can target up to two of them. And it says those creatures don't untap during their controller's next untap step. Uh, So if the controller changes... Okay, so if you frost breath your opponent's dude and then you take their dude, uh, it's going to not untap during your, because you're now the controller, your next untap step. Also, if you for some reason frost breath a dude and then frost breath him again because you want to make sure that he's really frozen, um, you those those aren't gonna stack. So it's it's still just going to not untap during the next untap step. Okay. Um, so let's see here. Oh, CJ added a new note. Yes. Um, however, if something for whatever reason makes you skip your untap step, well, that doesn't count. It's this this frost breath is going to wait until you actually go through, go into an untap step, and at that point you are not going to untap your dude. Yeah. Yeah. My 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 real point here was uh, people confused Never. hands of binding uh, with uh, loxodon something. Uh, the the yes, one that makes you skip your combat. Right. Sure. Yeah, because if you play uh, a guy that makes you skip your next combat and then play another guy that makes you skip your next combat, uh, the person who has to skip combats is going to skip two combats, okay? But if I play target creature doesn't untap next turn and then target creature doesn't untap next turn, he only doesn't untap once. That's that's the only point I was trying to make there. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's not a minotaur. It's a frost giant. All right. That's, that's, uh, that's a horde of, of stuff there about that card. Uh, which brings us to our next card, which is Garrick's Horde. That was really bad. Yeah, I, I love, I love uh, the attempt though. Uh, uh, <laughs> also bigger than. So, oh, do you see Garrick's in the background? Okay, no, never mind, never mind. 
Also bigger than Colossal Whale, though. Okay, go on. Yes, it is. And yeah, uh, awesome. so it is a seven mana, seven, seven with Trample. It says play with the top card of your library revealed. You may cast the top card of your library if it is a creature card. You still have to pay the costs and you still have to respect timing restrictions as normal. So uh, you. what's interesting about this, that, that's actually fairly intuitive. What's unintuitive is that if I have an ambush viper on top of my deck, um, it, which has flash, then I could cast it anytime I could cast a creature with flash normally. So that's very interesting. Um, and if you draw multiple cards with this out, you reveal each card before you draw it. So if you have this in play and you somehow manage to cast Enter the Infinite, you will reveal every single card you draw when you draw your entire library. Yeah, it's good draws are each draw is individual. When you're told to draw three cards, it really means draw a card, draw a card, draw a card. So you reveal between them. I feel like Brian should get Guardian of I, the Ages. I was thinking though. the exact same thing because he is the Guardian of the Ages. <laughs> Guys, I'm finally uh, giving it giving it up. Right. <laughs> All right, fine. Guardian of the Ages, larger than a colossal whale. <laughs> Yeah, he's only as big Set. as a tree. Okay, all right. Sorry. He's as big I can't as stop now. I can't stop. And he's Edward Sword Hands. Um, so, Guardian of the Ages is seven mana for an artifact creature, Gollum. It is. Uh, uh, it has Defender, which means this creature can't attack. Um, sure. Uh, it also has, when a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, if Guardian of the Angel Ages has Defender, it loses Defender and gains Trample. So this thing, basically, it's going to sit there on your side as essentially a wall, but if someone messes with you, it's going to wake up and be like, I'm ready to smash. That The effect does not end. And so here's here's kind of one of the interesting things uh, uh, that I want to talk about the uh, the mist trigger policy. All right, so the mist trigger policy has this this long list of things that you know have to um, basically that you need to do in order to uh, indicate that you have remembered your your trigger. And this is this is one of those uh, uh, one of those triggers that. Uh, affects the the game in a in a non-visible way uh so it's really only forgotten when you do something to indicate that you have forgotten like so if you attack you that's know it. and the guy that's a competitive ariel yeah sorry this is a competitive so uh no at the pre-release but basically so i attack you okay i and you have a guardian of ages that trigger is going to fire and it fired until i demonstrate until we pass a point where i demonstrate that i forgot about it okay because it is non-visible okay which means basically when i turn it sideways and go i'm attacking with it so this is a pretty good indication that i remembered my trigger okay yeah so it's just just communicate assume this is the thing assume even if they didn't say anything it's you you're you're the opponent it's your responsibility to just assume that they remembered it until you have evidence that they didn't and it's kind of hard to to tell you holding it back they might not want to attack with it uh it's kind of hard to tell you can ask them you know hey that thing still have defender you know, it's a pretty easy way to determine whether or not they forgot it is but i don't want to ask that because the second i ask them they're gonna say well yes well then you know there you go hey, i have a question where they could say oh yeah i forgot my trigger or they might be honest you know at the pre-release you know people would be like oh yeah i totally forgot i have a question what if somebody's attacking you with a bear cub and you have guardian of the ages and then in response to the trigger they turn guardian of the ages so the trigger's already gone on the stack yeah. uh so guardian of the ages uh so turn is gonna turn is gonna resolve it's gonna lose all of its abilities and then this thing's gonna happen uh 
Right, but it's a it's an intervening if clause that says if it has defender. Oh, so when look at that. So when when uh, turn resolves and makes it not have defender, then the intervening if clause will check and say, oh, this doesn't have defender, so I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. So it will not gain trample, and it will have defender when it when it when at the uh, the next turn. I imagine it's intervening if because you know if six creatures attack you, it'll actually trigger six times, and that seems annoying. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna gain trample six times. Yeah, that would be annoying. Motive. Probably just so it's probably there already, so that if it's already a dude, then it's not going to trigger at all. Well, that too, yes. All right, flats, you take haunted plate mail, which a colossal sure. whale could wear, which would make it a colossal whale male. Uh, uh, That's horrible. Uh, I, appro- I approve. <laughs> all right, haunted plate mail, four mana for an equipment. Equip creature gets plus four, plus four, and it has this ability uh, pay zero until end of turn. Elspeth's long lost armor becomes a four four spirit artifact creature. Look, it looks just it, like it Elspeth's does. armor. Uh, becomes a four four spirit artifact creature that's no longer an equipment. Activate this ability only if you control no creatures. So it has a restriction on activating it. Uh, if you had two of these and no other creatures, uh, you could say activate this one uh, in response. I'll activate this other one. This one will resolve. And then the second one will say, well, uh, I've already activated. I have no restrictions on resolving. So it'll resolve and it'll become a 4-4 creature as well. Uh, okay. And if you clone, if you play clone and you choose this as the creature that it's copying, uh, you would get an unanimated, unanimated uh, haunted plate mail. It would come in just like it was entering the battlefield as the equipment w- without the effect that makes it a creature. Um, interestingly, if you make this a creature and then you play another creature, you cannot equip it to that creature until until it stops being a creature itself as well. Right. Um, that's that's a, true. If, it, if it's an artifact creature uh, uh, equipment, um, well, actually, in this case, it wouldn't be an equipment. So that kind of keeps it keeps it intuitive. But um, is, if somehow it became a, a creature, otherwise you wouldn't be able to uh, equip it to something. Yeah. Um, other creatures. Right. Uh, what I really want to see is Haunted Plate Mail equipped with Haunted Plate Mail. Oh, I didn't even uh, consider. Release this, this weekend. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. I love having a zero ability. You can just activate it a million times in response to itself. Oh, on that clone on that clone point, we probably should have mentioned it with that, that card that made a mountain a 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, if you clone that creature, you're just going to get a mountain. So don't don't clone. When you clone something, you get basically what's printed on the card. So speaking of armor, yes, uh, our, our next card is also armor. It's illusionary armor. Yes. Uh, so it's a picture of uh, a nerd pretending he has massive powers. Um, <laughs> We've all fallen. Uh, and this gives also gives plus four plus four. Uh, it's an enchantment that enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus four plus four. And when the enchanted creature becomes the target of her spell or ability, uh, you sacrifice illusionary armor. Now uh, there are many triggers that target, but are the same. May you may do this, you may do that, etc. But many of them still tr- uh, target something. So uh, for example, if I control one creature and it has illusionary armor, and I cast Restoration Angel, it still has to have a target so it will target the uh, creature with illusionary armor and then the ability will cause illusionary armor to be sacrificed and then i will choose whether or not to uh, flicker that creature also this only applies to the creature that is enchanted if illusionary armor itself becomes the target of a spell or ability then it will still be around which makes no sense but that's the way it works 
I'm trying to think of what you could target with it that wouldn't actually just be a kill for enchantments anyway. All right, let's go with Jace's Mindseeker. Six mana, four, four flying. He's a fish illusion. Come on, Jace. You can do better. All right, he says, when Jace's Mindseeker enters the battlefield, target opponent puts the top five cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. You may cast an instant or sorcery from among them without paying its mana cost. So one thing to note here is you don't get to cast any instant or sorcery in that graveyard. Just one of the top five that have been, um, what are they, milled? Yeah, milled. Just one of those five, not anything else in there. Uh, and this time, on this one, you get to ignore timing restrictions. I don't know why I was so hung up on timing restrictions in this. But basically the rules there are if something says you can cast it this turn, then that means you have permission for the rest of this turn to cast that spell. Um, so that's that's something like Chandra. Well, it's it's uh, the 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 distinction there is that it says without paying its mana cost. Uh, anytime something lets you pay something or play something without paying its mana cost, you get to ignore timing restrictions. If it doesn't have that phrase, uh, then you still have to obey timing restrictions. Um, I think if something said you may cast an instant or sorcery card from among them without paying its mana cost this turn, that would mean you couldn't actually cast it right then while the ability was resolving. Uh, well, we'll keep going and I'll yeah, look it up while you're going. really matter. Um, the point is when this, when this ability resolves, you get to cast it right then. Actually, you have to cast it right then or you don't get to cast it at all. Right. All right, Brian. All right. Path O Bravery. Um, this is a white enchantment for two and a white. Uh, that is an enchantment. As long as your life total is greater than or equal to your starting life total, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever one or more creatures you control attack, you gain life equal to the number of attacking creatures. So first off, in a single-player game, your life total is 20. Uh, so as long as you have greater than or equal to 20, your dudes get plus one, plus one. If you are playing in a two-headed giant game, your starting life total is 30. And if you are playing in an EDH game, your starting life total is 40. Yeah. So this is to, to get around all those, uh, all those, uh, what is it? Sarah's, Sarah's ascendant yeah. silliness. Um, the second thing is, <clears throat> Uh, so it says whenever one or more of your, uh, when, whenever one or more creatures you control attack. So that's the, that's the trigger. So that means you are, what it means when one of your creatures attacks means you turned that dude sideways at the declare attacker step. Not, oh, I flashed something or, uh, or I put something into play, tapped and attacking. I ninjutsued in. Oh, so now, no, it is. Uh, turn a dude sideways. That's what it means whenever a creature attacks. Uh, the second thing is, and then it says you gain life equal to the number of attacking creatures. So that life that you gain is determined upon resolution. So if I swing with five dudes and then your opponent's like bolt, bolt, bolt and kills three of them, how many did I say I swung with five? I, j I attacked with five. Three dudes got gacked before the trigger resolved. Uh, when the trigger resolves, it's going to say how many attacking creatures? Up to you gain only two life. Womp womp. Uh, I guess, I guess, Jess, why don't you pay no heed to that rules question that you're looking up? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, 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 that's amusing. Uh, that's amusing. <laughs> so that's amusing. So that's Pedo Heat is a new instant um, that is kind of along the lines of Brave the Elements in in effect, but it is very different in exactly how it works. And that it costs one white mana, and it prevents all damage a source of your choice would deal this turn. Um, I see this probably being boarded in quite a bit uh, in decks that hate Bonfire of the Damned. Um, it, what this does is it doesn't prevent damage to a single permanent like a lot of things do this prevents all damage from one source and that source could be bonfire of the dam that source could be um uh any planeswalker that source could be a single spell um but it doesn't actually target you choose the source on resolution so you cast it like somebody has a searing spear on the stack you could cast it and your opponent goes okay that resolves and you go i'll prevent that damage from that five five you have Uh, you don't have to actually choose uh until it resolves and you can choose creatures with hexproof and things of that nature um if you choose a creature or permanent while it's on the stack you're still going to prevent damage from that permanent when it becomes a creature although i don't know if that's going to be relevant in the core set at all no not everything we talk about is core set relevant like there's no legends in the core set at all are there not this time i don't think all right where are we flats yeah flats yeah pyromancer's gauntlet artifact five cost if a red instant or sorcery spell you control or a red planeswalker you control would deal damage to a permanent or player it deals that much damage plus two to that permanent or player instead so red planeswalker they're referencing there uh probably the one i talked about earlier why doesn't it say pyromaster's gauntlet then that is a good question. I think that's a failure on uh, on creative there. Uh, this is a replacement effect. Um, it applies to each instant of damage that's being dealt. So let's say you cast um, uh, Flames of Firebrand. We already talked about that spell, right? Uh, it deals one damage to up to three targets. If uh, you have this in play, you can deal up to three damage to three targets that way. So, uh, And let's say you have a Furnace of Raft, which uh, doubles all the damage. Uh, you choose the order in which you apply. So you could deal one, let's say, with a, with a Zap, and you could double that damage first and deal two, and then apply the Gauntlet and deal four. Or you could apply the Gauntlet first and deal three, and then double the damage and deal six. That seems better. Yes. And kill a colossal whale. Probably. Uh, yes. Probably. It could. <laughs> Probably. It's uh, not too big for that. But not Garrick's Horde. Huh. 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 Well, I mean, there's there's more of them. I mean, you just blast one of the horde, and the rest of it sure. just kind of swarms around. The colossal whale is, you know, you just get it in the right spot, and oh, you got it right. This, in the this breaks down whenever you have earthquake because earthquake's going to deal one to each of the horde, right? And then you... No, that doesn't work. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so if all the damage is prevented, uh, then it doesn't apply because no damage is being dealt. Right. Yeah, it doesn't do zero plus two. It does zero. Yep. Because it's this, this replacement effect replaces when the card would deal damage. And if it doesn't deal damage, then there's nothing to replace. Right. All right, Quicken. An old, an old card. Uh, so Quicken says it's cost of blue, and it says the next sorcery you ca- card you cast this turn can be cast as though it had flash, and it also lets you draw a card. 
so if you were to cast two quickens in a row, it's still they would still only apply to the next sorcery you cast. It wouldn't be the next two sorceries you cast. Uh, if you have a sorcery beneath one of the cards we've discussed today that would let you make a copy of it and then cast the copy, that doesn't count because the text of quicken is looking for a sorcery card that you cast, and a copy is not a card. Finally, and this will not come up at the pre-release, but this card interacts oddly with suspend because yeah suspend. we have to talk about it uh, we do have to talk about it suspend will let you it the the you text begin yeah, to cast if it. you could begin to cast a spell with suspend you may instead suspend it um so quicken actually lets you cast or suspend a card that is a sorcery at instant as an instant it's weird and since you didn't actually cast a sorcery you can still uh uh cast your sorcery at instant oh that's true i didn't even think about that yeah because you didn't cast the sorcery so right and it's still in effect so you get, yeah so you can just you can just go ahead and suspend all them sorceries okay. blam 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 oh baby and then finish it up with your whatever all right brian all right that joke bomb all right so here we have a uh, ratchet bomb for two mana it is an artifact you can tap it to put a charge counter on Ratchet Bomb. Or you can tap Sack It, destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Ratchet Bomb. So this thing is a token killer. Uh, so for two mana, you can drop it, tap it, Sack It. It has zero uh, counters on it, so it's really only going to destroy non-land permanents. On land, that's important. Huh? Uh, with a converted mana cost of zero. Generally, tokens uh, have a converted mana cost of zero. The exception is if the tokens are copies of things, like put a token into play that's a copy of Colossal Whale, its converted mana cost is going to be f- f- uh, seven. But if it's just like, hey, put a 1 1 bird token into play, its converted mana cost is zero so boom also face down morph cards have a converted mana cost of zero also your face also double face cards that are night side have a yes that's what i meant when i said oh okay i meant i meant double face cards on that side double face yes absolutely he was calling you double face yet it's just flip cards when flipped still have the original converted mana cost that one got me once uh whose turn is it jess i think or quicken for creatures? Yeah, Savage Summoning. I actually really like this card. Savage Summoning is a one-mana green instant that says Savage Summoning can't be countered. Ooh. The next creature you cast this turn can be cast as though it had flash. That spell can't be countered. That creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. So you get an uncounterable creature that's bigger than normal for the low, low cost of an extra mana and an extra card. And by low, low cost, I mean actually rather high. Um, this can still be targeted by counterspells, which is interesting in that uh, if I cast Savage Summoning and you cast Rewind, for example, um, your Rewind will still resolve and you will still untap four lands, but it won't actually counter Savage Summoning. It will just do everything that it can. And the other thing is that if you cast two of these, they don't apply in a row. They don't apply to the next two creatures you cast. They apply to the next one, and it will have two plus one plus one counters on it. This is kind of out of left field, but I don't like. I don't think this card interacts with uh, Dryad Arbor at all. If you cast this and play Dryad Arbor, your Dryad Arbor will not have a counter because you're not casting Dryad Arbor. That is correct. correct. <laughs> Weird. I don't know why. <laughs> that just popped in my head. Yeah, you can't cast it. Yeah, it's not a spell. All, all right, right. Seraph of the Sword. Uh, it's a three mana flying angel. 
Uh, prevent all combat damage to be dealt to Seraph with a sword. Uh, so this one works interesting with Trample. Uh, if, let's say, you have a, I don't know, um, a 7-7 Trampler, and uh, this is blocking it, uh, then the player has the option to deal, well, they could deal 7 damage to Seraph with a sword. Uh, he could deal anything between 7 and 3, but he has to deal at least 3 to the Seraph with a sword. Uh, it's basically, you have to deal what would, would be lethal damage, ignoring the prevention effect. Uh, so you can't deal all 7 to, so you, so you would be able to deal uh, 4 to the player. This uh, this card I was hoping was going to be a little better, actually. Uh, this this art, uh, I really like the art, actually, but it's the art for the playmat for GP Oakland. Oh. And it's very, very pretty in playmat form. Hmm. That's cool. I like the card just fine for limited. Yeah, it's great in limited. It might see some standard play, but I can't imagine with Lightning Bolt around in modern that it'll see play there. It does die to Colossal Whale. All right. Because the whale would die. How does the whale? Okay. Uh, silence. It's big, man. That's how. The uh, the rarity symbol for silence is golden. Your opponents can't cast spells this turn. <laughs> oh, wow. Silence is golden, you take, know? Eh, eh. Take a quiet moment to reflect on your Yeah, I will. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm so lost. <clears throat> silence, your opponent can't cast spells this turn. All I want to say to this is the same thing we say every time this card is in a set. Uh, casting it will not counter any spells already on the stack. So, and this can be responded to. Like, uh, your opponents can't cast spells after this resolves, but while it's still on the stack, it can be responded to. Anything already on the stack is going to resolve. It's only after the fact. So you might want to cast it in, in their upkeep. But they can play Dryad Arbor. They can play Dryad Arbor. Dryad Arbor is coming yes. out the real winner here. Yep. Hey. hey spells? Spell Blast. <laughs> spell Blast is for X and a blue. It is an instant counter target spell with converted mana cost of x hey speaking of things that don't work with dryad arbor dun 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 so um huh get it because dryad arbor is not a spell so you can't counter it uh yeah i got it okay just check no, i got it don't worry okay, okay. you got yeah, it no, I got you it. sure all right man just checking so here's the interesting thing about and I, I say interesting, but we all know this. Uh, the converted mana cost of the card is whatever the converted mana cost is of the, the little numbers and symbols up in the top corner of the card. It does not matter if you kicked it, if you buy back it, if you overload it, if you flash back it, if you pay an alternate cost of sacrifice to mountains. Um, or pay a life and discard a blue card. The converted mana cost is a little is is if it's three blue blue, the converted mana cost is five, regardless of what you actually paid for it. If you decide to pay silence, uh, with oh say fist of the suns, and you really want to pay your Wooberg, uh, you can counter with spell blast with uh one and a blue. Okay. Yeah, fist of suns. But what if what if I cast colossal what whale? If? For seven. Okay. And then you spell blast it. Or, yeah, because it costs seven. And then you spell blast yeah. it for seven. And then I want to counter your spell blast with my spell blast. My ah. spell blast B. Well, you see, X on the stack. X is equal to zero everywhere but the stack. So Colossal Whale has a converted mana cost of seven. So my spell blast, X must be seven. So seven and a blue. So my spell blast's converted mana cost must be eight, which means for you to spell blast my spell blast, you have to pay eight and a blue. Interesting. Which I probably don't have because I just paid seven mana for my Colossal Whale. I got it. 
I'm good for it, man. High tide. Well, I mean, sure, because obviously high tide. Well, you need the high tide because the Colossal Whale has island walk. So we need to wait. That doesn't actually work. I was thinking like it was like you make the water level higher so it can get further inland. Right. Hey, Thorncaster Sliver. (laughs) Five of these could kill a Colossal Whale. That's you, Jess. Well, only one could kill a Colossal Whale if you have four other slivers. Okay, true. Five of them kills it many times yeah, over. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, so, yeah, actually, that's the only, the only interesting thing to talk about here is that as a sliver, if you have multiples of them, these slivers will have that ability multiple times. So if I control what, one what Thorncaster sliver, the, the whenever this creature attacks, it deals one damage to target creature or player. So if I have two Thorncaster slivers, each of them is giving each other the ability, which means that each of those slivers will have the ability twice. Uh, so if I attack with two Thorncaster slivers... I get to deal one damage to target creature or player four times. Nice. Or four different targets, depending on how you want to do it. Yeah, that seems pretty good. Uh, I, I learned a little something with this next card. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned that it's Flat's turn. Yeah, it is Flat's turn. <laughs> so this one is Vastwood Hydra. Uh, X green green. Uh, enters the battlefield. X plus one plus one counters on it. Uh, when it dies, you may distribute a number of plus one plus one counters equal to the number of plus one plus one counters on it among any number of creatures you control. So this ability is a triggered ability when it dies. Um, and it doesn't target. So the point where you're going to tell people, your opponent, uh, what creatures are going to get counters is after uh, this started to resolve. So if your opponent says something like, well, where are your counters going? Then this ability has already started resolving. Yes. And, and that's that's the thing I learned, because I thought because um, when we get when we do our episode on casting spells, which will be next episode, this episode's a special. So it doesn't count as the episode on casting spe- on the as the next no. episode that we promise. That's our story. Yeah, and that's our to that's it. our story. It's not just because we forgot the FAQ would be out. No, it's because this is a special. Yep. Not at all. It doesn't mean we broke our promise. Our next episode nope. will be on casting a spell. Yes, uh, this episode doesn't count. One of the steps of casting a spell is distributing uh, distributing anything damage counters uh, whatever it may be you have to choose that if the spell or ability has targets you have to choose that after you declare your targets you have to choose how you're going to distribute things but if there are no targets and i had to double check this in the rules um you actually don't have to say how you're going to distribute anything until after the spell or ability starts to resolve so that was cool to me interesting it is interesting oh uh, what do i have wild ricochet all right yeah. Wild Ricochet, which is a reprint. You may choose new targets for target instant or sorcery spell. Then copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So basically, you get to change the target of the spell in the stack and then also make a copy of that spell and and have new targets for that copy as well. So when you copy, um, when you copy a spell with X in its mana costs, like, for example, Spell Blast, you can... Um, the, the value of X is copied, so that's good. Uh, also, if something is kicked, that's good. We have a whole episode on, on copying things. So if you really, really want to know about how to copy things, you can go listen to that. Uh, another thing is you do not have to change the targets of a spell if you don't want to, even if the existing target is now illegal. I'm not sure why you might not want to, but you don't have to. And of course, we won't make Jess be the only one to talk about Stryonic Resonator. I would love to be the only one to talk about Stryonic Resonator. We do be like, we're not going to talk about it. And then... Just chill, guys. I got this. <laughs> All okay. Right. All right. Everybody take a big yeah. step back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Brian. No, 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 we can all talk. We can all talk about it. That's fine. Go ahead, um, talk about uh, so, Stratic Resonator. Oh, is the, the end. I'm sorry, what? Not yet. We have one more card. Yeah, one oh, very geez. important guy. 
Xanthrid Necromancer. Nobody cares about this guy. No one, no one does except Xanth- he Xanthrid Necromancer cares about other human creatures you control. Oh, isn't that sweet? He cares about all the humans. He does because what he does when they die is he makes them into zombies. Uh, yes, yeah, so, suddenly less sweet. Well, I mean, it's it's black love is the most lasting of all kinds of love. <laughs> That's true. Um, so Zether Necromancer is two and a black for a creature human wizard. Whenever Zether Necromancer or another human creature you control dies, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield tapped. So uh, a few things about this. One is the card says whenever Xanthard Necromancer or another human creature dies, it could actually just say whenever a human creature dies. Well, that's slightly uh, different because Xanthard ne- Necromancer, if it ever stops being a human, yeah, it will still trigger. True, but like in in this particular in this in most cases, okay, ninety nine. 0.9% of the time. Um, He'll be a human when he dies? He's going to be a human when he dies. And the reason they do this kind of thing is pe- people tend to think it's like, oh, well, it just looks at... <laughs> if it says whenever a human creature dies, it doesn't really look at himself, but it does. He will... When he is a human, he would die. The game looks back the moment before the event, sees that he dies, so yes, it would trigger. Um, so that's kind of a neat little thing that the rules do just to help players understand how it's really supposed to work. Um, if Xanthard Necromancer and a whole mess of humans die at the same time, Xanthard Necromancer, he's actually going to see all those dudes die, and you are going to get so many black zombies tokens that have a converted mana cost of zero so your ratchet bomb will kill them how does he bring himself back as a zombie well because i mean duh he's a necromancer that's being prepared <laughs> that's really prepared. right he was he was a boy scout Xanthrid the necromancer eagle scout he has a merit badge in sewing and but he also like, likes long walks on the beach and, and yeah and stryonic you mean later. long shambles on the beach long shambles <laughs> on the beach yes <laughs> but what if he died and like you somehow were able to copy the trigger how are you getting two zombies out of one guy that doesn't make sense magic magic yeah there's, hey, thing, there's no way to copy a trigger ability let's let's talk about galactic galacticus's helmet <laughs> Galactus's Galactus Galactize helmet. Wait, no, largest no. tuning forks ever. <laughs> yes. So this is this is uh, people in my playgroup talking about Stryonic Resonator, which is the next card. Have been calling this the Eric Levine Invitational card. Uh, some time ago, uh, he he said it wouldn't it be awesome if we had an artifact that copied triggered abilities. Um, so and then we got one. We uh, blame him. Then I think he was wrong. <laughs> Well, his was actually a joke because it was a triggered ability that copied a triggered ability, which created an infinite loop. But that's beside the point. (laughs) Um, So a Stratic Resonator is a two mana artifact. There's a rare. It has the ability pay two and tap copy target triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Um, So what kind of abilities can this copy? What what is a triggered ability as opposed to any other kind of ability? Ooh, 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 if. No, no. No? Not if. (laughs) No, as. No. Stop this. As clone enters the battlefield. No, stop, stop. No. You can't copy those. Those are not triggered abilities. No? Aw. It's it's just a little word. It's another little, little word that starts with a vowel. At. There we go. Excuse me, I'd like to buy an at. Yes. So yes, triggered abilities, to get to the point here, <laughs> the triggered abilities use the words when, whenever, or at. Hey, I just read the reminder text on 
I because I know at the pre-release someone's going to try to copy some enters the battlefield, you know, as like basswood Hydra enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on. I know someone's going to be like, I'm going to copy that. Uh, you can't copy that. That is not a trigger ability. You can copy his death trigger, but this card is valuable just for the reminder text. I think so. Like if that's all the card did, it was just a two mana artifact that just had the italicized text. A triggered ability uses the words win whenever and at. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> So the interesting thing, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen yes. uh, here is so whenever you copy an ability, it's very similar to copying spells. Um, you still choose the same or you have to choose the same modes that were originally chosen. Um, it has the same number of targets and any division of effects remains the same. Um, and the only exception is the one that's printed on the card, which says you may choose new targets for the copy. Um, so choices that remain uh, that are made on resolution are still different so if you copy an extort trigger and then pay for one and and not the other that's fine because you're choosing to pay on resolution um and you could make a different choice for say angelic skirmisher which can give your creatures first strike vigilance or lifelink and that happens on resolution you choose so you could do two of these things um so, but where this really gets interesting is with linked abilities. Uh, and, and the first example that we're bringing up is Oblivion Ring. Um, so if you play an Oblivion Ring and in response to the first triggered ability on Oblivion Ring, you copy that and, and target something else, both of those cards will be exiled. And when Oblivion Ring leaves the battlefield, then both of the things that, that were exiled will return to the battlefield. Um, under their ownership control. So whenever you copy something that's that's part of a linked set of abilities, the second part will still apply to the first copy. This gets really interesting with like Isochron Scepter. So if I play an Isochron Scepter and exile, uh, I want to exile something and I copy the ability with Ceranic Resonator and I I can choose to exile two Lightning Helixes. Um, And then when I activate uh, Isochron Scepter, I can cast up to two Lightning Helixes off of the Isochron Scepter, which is very powerful. Um, what's that? See, that's fancy. It's very fancy. It's it's. I just made my own War Leaders Helix by stapling two together. It's tight how that works. Um, we had a few questions about this. Uh, one of them I actually just answered. That was from uh, David Stelhane. Yes. And the other one was from a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Eoj no. <laughs> Rinix on Facebook asked, how does this interact with Mimic Vat? Mimic Vat's triggered ability says... Whenever a non-token creature dies, you may exile that card. If you do, return each other card exiled with Mimic Bat to its owner's graveyard. Um, Mm -hmm. Copying this trigger with Strionic Resonator really doesn't do anything, because if you choose to exile it for the the first effect that resolves, uh, the second one doesn't have anything to exile. And if you don't choose to exile it, then the second one resolves just, just as normal. So it really has no effect at all. Um, yep. So there's a, there's a couple points I'd like to make still. Um, one is if if the linked ability needs information about the exiled card and say two cards were exiled, it gets information about all the cards exiled with the ability. So we go back to Elite Arcanist, the guy we talked about earlier who lets you exile an instant and then you can pay X and tap it to cast the instant. If you exile two instants, then X is actually going to be the sum of the converted mana costs of those two instants, which is uh, pretty interesting. I don't think a lot of cards actually work like that, but for Elite Archivist, it will. Um, and then after after tapping, paying X and tapping it, you could cast one or both instants or none if you really wanted to. Oh, 
And also, I wanted to mention that some cards had their Oracle text changed to actually start working. So I heard a lot of questions about Duplicant when this card was triggered. So Duplicant now reads, um, when Duplicant enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-token creature. So assume you copied that uh, and exile two non-token creatures. Uh, duplicate now reads, as long as a card exiled with duplicate is a creature card, duplicate has the power, toughness, and creature types of the last creature card exiled with duplicate. It's still a shapeshifter. So for some cards, the rules will handle it, and for others, the uh, their oracle text was changed to make it work. Did you want to cover this? Yeah, what, so um, what was the next example that we wanted to talk about? Was it... Um, yeah, you want me to do uh, this one? Fusion? Yeah, yeah go ahead. I... I... <laughs> All right, so we got an email from Colin, Colin, Colin Moriarty. If only there was a way, like a phrase, saying someone was like our arch nemesis, like a character we could refer to. Uh, he wanted to know how, uh, what's his name of this? Giant Pitchfork reacts with Confusion in the Ranks and Animate Dead, because he hates us. All right, Confusion in the Ranks reads, Whenever an artifact creature or enchantment enters the battlefield, its controller chooses target permanent. Another player controls that shares a card type with it. Exchange control of those permanents. So... I saw two situations here. So basically, whenever you play a creature, you're going to exchange it um, for something your opponent has of the same type. And whenever your opponent plays a creature, they're going to exchange it for something of yours of the same type. And you get to choose what's exchanging or they get to choose, depending on who played the creature. But all the triggers are yours because you control confusion in the ranks. So I have two players here. I have player undead and player bears. And player undead controls confusion in the ranks. So I have two situations. One is player undead plays a walking corpse. So confusion triggers and you're going to target player bears bear cub. Then you copy confusion and when changing the targets you choose to target grizzly bear. The copy is going to resolve first and you're going to exchange control of grizzly bears with walking corpse. So right now player undead has a grizzly bear and player bears has a bear cub and a walking corpse. Then the original goes to dissolve. But since player bear has both bear cub and walking corpse it can't exchange control of them because the same player already controls both so that does nothing okay so here's the reverse situation where the opponent plays something so something that's interesting about this is even though player undead controls the trigger he doesn't actually get to choose the target unless he uh, was the one that played a creature so let's say we have player undead has walking corpse and gutter skulk and he controls the confusion in the ranks. And player bears plays bear cubs. All right. So the confusion triggers. Player bears gets to pick the target. Um, and he's going to choose walking corpse. Player undead, for some reason, is going to copy the confusion. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He actually gets to change the target, but he has to maintain the same uh, restriction. So he can change the target, but it has to be... Um, what's the restriction? Controller chooses target permanent another player controls. So it still has to be one that player bears does not control. So basically one of his own creatures. So when he copies Confusion in the ranks, he can actually change the target to one of his own, uh, to a different one of his own creatures, uh, which may be advantageous. And then from there, it's going to resolve all the same way, where the copy is going to resolve first, you're going to exchange control of the creatures, and the original is going to try to resolve, but it won't do anything because the same player already controls both creatures. Ooh. And then also Animate Dead. I get upset whenever I have to read Animate Dead. All right. So Animate Dead reads, when, when Animate Dead enters the battlefield, if it's on the battlefield, it loses Enchant Creature card in a graveyard and gains Enchant Creature put into the battlefield with Animate Dead. Return Enchanted Creature card to the battlefield under your control and attach Animate Dead to it. When Animate Dead leaves the battlefield, that controller, that creature's controller sacrifices it. Uh, basically copying this ability doesn't really do anything because the first one will bring the creature back. Uh, the second one will do effectively nothing. Colin did have a follow-up question of whether or not the Animate Dead would have two in 
instances of enchant creature card put onto the battlefield with anime dead? Maybe? I don't... Anime dead enters the battlefield. If it's on the battlefield, it loses and it gains enchant creature put on the battlefield with. Uh, sure. There's no, yeah, it will never matter. There's no way it matters, but it is possible that maybe it happens. Um, I did respond that necromancy actually has a much more interesting result, but I'll leave it up to the listeners to read necromancy. But you can get a situation where you have two creatures returned with necromancy. Necromancy is enchanting one of them, and if you destroy necromancy, both creatures die. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's one for people to go figure out. Colossal whale. Yeah. By the way, if you copy colossal whales and then colossal whale dies, both will come back. Both creatures that are exiled, or however many creatures are exiled. Right. Ooh. Okay. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about Strionic Resonator? No. No. That's resounding silence. All right. It's a pretty obnoxious card. It really is. And there's a lot of cards like I think we're going to be getting questions about it for a while. It's it's one of these it's one of these cards that in 99 percent of the cases, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, sure. That's the way that works. And then that other one percent of the case is just going to be players trolling us. Yes. So send your trolls to judgecast at gmo.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash judgecast or visit our website at judgecast.com. Flats. Yes. I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Do you have anything you want to plug, any contact information, anything like that you want to put out to the world of Judge Castians? If anybody wants to contact me, uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Flatford. Uh, is that with one T? That is with one T. Okay. The nickname has the two T's. I know. I was just That's right. making just it clear. Is that it? That is it. Okay. Uh Brian and Jess, you guys have anything else you want to say? Uh, no. Ready to wrap this bad have, boy up? Have fun at your pre-releases this weekend, guys. Yep. Uh, send us stories, especially if a Strionic Resonator gets in play and you get to do something interesting with it, or uh, Colossal Whale. <laughs> Tell us all the ways Colossal Whale died to things that shouldn't be able to kill a Colossal Whale. Yes. Yes. I'm sure that will happen very frequently. <laughs> yes, very frequently. All right. I want to once again thank everyone for listening. Like Brian said, I hope you have fun at your pre-releases. My name's CJ Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman, and I keep it resonating strionically. I'm Flats, and I keep it regional. Yes. <laughs>